Welcome to Financial Frameworks Podcast 24, Holding On to Your Money, Exploring ESG Investing, and Developing Matrices. Financial Frameworks' goal is to help you increase your financial decision-making skills, building on what you already know. This podcast is part of Financial Frameworks' series, focusing on holding on to your money by balancing safety and growth in savings and investments. And today, I'm continuing my examination of how to achieve that when making ESG investments. Financial Frameworks is going to focus on ESG for the next three podcasts for several reasons. There's a lot of interest in ESG. It's clearly an area that is growing. And because it is new and the paradigm around it is still being built, winners and losers in this area will start emerging. And wouldn't it be nice if you and I had the skill set and frameworks in place to identify those winners ahead of time. ESG has been in existence for a while, but I'm finding that institutions, standards organizations, and large investment entities are catching up with reality and are focusing more carefully on what it actually means to be ESG and how to measure results. I will tell you here where these three podcasts will finally wind up rather than keeping you in suspense with the possibility that after wading through three podcasts, you receive a set of conclusions that aren't useful to you or your investing model. That wouldn't be any fun at all. So the goal in these podcasts is to develop and define clear numerical or unqualified ESG data from individual companies or funds that enables you to make valid side-by-side investment comparisons. Those comparisons have to accommodate your investing and social values so that you can be confident that you've made an investment that will grow, meet your safety requirements, and it has reasonable ESG goals. So here's what's in today's podcast a review of the last podcast, ESG Basics, like what is an ESG investment, that sort of thing. The second portion of the podcast will be background and context to give you a feel for the debate, the conflict, and the uncertainty around what are ESG investments as this body of knowledge and theory grows and is assembled. I think it's important to do this so that we can examine the process of developing standards and benchmarks, and you can see how very sophisticated, well-paid people do this and develop your own alongside them. The third segment is about finding useful metrics. I'll do a tops of the trees overview, talk about what we're looking at and how we're doing that. Again, this is important if you want a solid framework. And then we'll conclude the podcast with my usual question. Okay, number one, the recap. The definition we'll use here is from the CFA Institute which defines ESG investing as sustainable investing delivers value by balancing traditional investing with environmental, social, and governance-related insights to improve long-term outcomes. ESG factors include for environmental, conservation of the natural world, for social, consideration for people, governance, standards for running a company. What we did before is we performed a high-level review and split ESG companies into two groups, those who produce ESG products like renewable energy, in the case of NextEra Energy, whom we looked at, 
or those doing business in an ESG manner, and we looked at Microsoft. I examined their financial data and their ESG reporting for the previous five years. The review was done specifically for investors who don't have a lot of time, but want to invest in ESG while using valid metrics. The information that I collected demonstrated financial safety, current assets that greatly outweigh liabilities, financial growth, both companies had double-digit annual earnings, and they detailed in their corporate reporting efforts that were spent on ESG that appeared to be substantial. We took the company's ESG reporting at face value for that podcast. So what I will do now is drill down further into current ESG market research to demonstrate its growth, review industry perspectives that highlight some of the issues regarding sound investing, and then set up a comparison of ESG measuring techniques for further development in the next podcast. Again, I'm taking this approach so that those investors with little time will have a sense of the complexity and the gray areas for this type of investing, and so that those who do want more detail before committing funds understand how to navigate, by building on what I'm sharing, how to navigate this emerging and important investing area. Also, possibly the additional information will cause those of you with limited time for investment research to look for ways to expand that time. The plus here is that after you've done this, after you have performed this research a number of times, it gets faster and easier with the big benefit that it provides more knowledge. But please do note, I'm not recommending that a person spend more time than they have. When I was in school, judgments were made about whether you spent enough time on a project or a paper, and I never found those to be helpful. It's important for you to be realistic and logical. There are many paths to financial security, and you need to find the one that works for you, that incorporates your knowledge and perspective and fits the time you have available to build your knowledge base and your financial security. I often think of a quote from the Bible, there are many rooms in my father's house. And I apply that to all sorts of situations. Things don't have to be done one way. So now let's set the stage for ESG financial matrix by outlining what is happening in the ESG investment world. I stated that ESG is a growing area as a major reason for this podcast, and that more and more companies are looking at the whole picture, a broader and more complete set of financial and corporate behavioral indices that are, in many cases, climate-related. A Bloomberg professional research analysis paper that was published late last year projected ESG funds to be at around $53 trillion by 2025. The questions in this podcast are about what those numbers mean, not just the amounts. So let's look at two sets of opposing perceptions. First, in a report produced by the NYU Stern Center for Sustainable Business, partnering with Rockefeller Asset Management. The report was titled ESG and Financial Performance, uncovering the relationship by aggregating evidence from 1,000 plus studies published between 2015 and 2020. This report cites evidence from the studies that approximately 58% of the entities that were cited in the report as following ESG principles performed better than negative screen approaches. Specifically, ESG integration, broadly speaking, 
as an investment strategy seems to perform better than negative screen approaches. They also stated sustainability initiatives at corporations appear to drive better financial performance due to mediating factors such as improved risk management and more innovation. In short, they say that ESG supports and possibly enhances financial performance. Let's also note that the report comments on the lack of consistency of ESG metrics in the studies that they reviewed. I take their observations fairly seriously because of the size of the report, the substance of the Stern Center and the Rockefeller Asset Management entity, and the length of time, five years, encompassed in the report. So that's why I consider it. Now, the counterbalancing points of view. An article in the Harvard Business Review from March 2022 titled An Inconvenient Truth About ESG Investing in which the author, Sanji Bhagat, states, to begin with, ESG funds certainly perform poorly in financial terms. The rest of the article, it's not a lengthy article, but the rest of the article goes on to cite other failings of ESG funds. A second Harvard Business Review article in August 2022 by Kenneth Pucker and Andrew King was titled, ESG investing isn't designed to save the planet paints a negative picture of ESG investing and states that ESG investing will not tackle our generation's urgent environmental and social challenges. So you have two sets of expertise, one saying uh, ESG works, one saying ESG doesn't work. So let's look at three organizational sets of actions, two public sector and one private sector, to see how they look at the process and the results of ESG investing. Number one, the U.S. Department of Labor recently filed a rule allowing ESG factors to be considered in the management of retirement funds. Pension funds are regulated to provide safety to their investors. The Department of Labor has some regulatory authority over these pension funds and should be considered a conservative organization. In ruling that ESG factors can be considered in the management of retirement funds, They reversed a 2020 rule issued by the Trump administration. The Department of Labor rule applies to fiduciaries of retirement plans covered by the Employment Retirement Income Security Act, ERISA, and this rule sets standards for most, but not all, workplace retirement plans, including 401k plans. These vehicles must be conservative in nature. This covers a lot of territory, so this ruling is a big deal. The second public sector entity, the United Nations has created an effort called Principles of Responsible Investing, PRI. PRI allows major corporations to sign on to these principles and voluntarily agree to those segments that fit their mission statement and which they can achieve. The objectives in the charter documents address all of the ESG matters But what I'm going to do in this podcast and then in the subsequent podcast is stick with the climate focus of PRI and analyze elements that the initiative Climate International is publishing. We'll look specifically at those publications regarding standards for GHG accounting and reporting in private equity. Looking at the metrics published or supported through the UN is useful because of the breadth of the activity, and it also allows us to compare voluntary activities 
with tangible accomplishments. The third organization we'll look at is private sector, and we want to see what they're doing and how the metrics fit, is BlackRock, Inc. BlackRock has between eight and $10 trillion of assets under management, depending on market conditions, and has committed itself to ESG while acknowledging a global economic transition from fossil fuels and current climatological conditions to a lower carbon and emission business world in the future. That statement alone has drawn significant criticism. BlackRock uses a document called Investment Stewardship at BlackRock, which is comprehensive, it's detailed, and it deals with policies as well as specific actions without tying portfolio managers' hands. BlackRock outlines its actions in terms of engaging companies they're invested in, voting at shareholder meetings, and shaping industry standards through market-level dialogue. I believe you'll find this very interesting. So there's some of the background. We're looking at it from a broad perspective. We're going to drill down and we're going to narrow our focus to come to actionable tools that you can use when evaluating an investment. But if you don't know how those tools were developed or what the objectives were, you're really only operating with half of a guidance system. So now you have some context and consistent with the purpose of Financial Framework's podcasts, some perceptions to incorporate this new information into your existing investing framework. You want to do this so that your analysis is complete, thorough, and accurate, and consistent with your values. I think this context is important because I don't want you to be like the guy looking for the lost silver dollar under the streetlight. As the old joke goes, he lost it somewhere else, but he was looking under the streetlight because the light was better. That is an incomplete framework. Okay, what will we do next? This section of the podcast discusses how precise you need to be to be satisfied with your ESG investment decision. In the previous two podcasts, I focused on two financial metrics and company statements. We looked at two types of firms, and what we looked at was sufficient to make a decision, and it fit the time available for most investors. We looked at overview-level information for Microsoft and NextEra Energy and found both of them to be safe, billions of dollars of uh, asset surpluses on their balance sheet, We found their earnings to be growing. Both were better than 15% annually, and they demonstrated commitment to ESG, very clearly the environmental, and Microsoft much more on social and governance, according to their documentations. So while that was satisfactory, if you want to be as thorough as possible, and I do in this case, I will admit to having recently reread Robert Cairo's excellent small book, Working, about he does research for his massive and magnificent books, The Power Broker, and the four-volume set about power as seen through the lens of former President Lyndon Johnson's life. Cairo will chase a question into a question, into the new question, and each one must be answered. They must be answered authentically, and his curiosity must be satisfied that he has examined what he considers to be the truth as fully as possible. I think that that's a useful tool here as we look at ESG as it emerges. So our ultimate purpose here is to incorporate ESG data and metrics or benchmarks into your investing framework. 
that we've been building. So we'll go beyond our first set of answers about Microsoft and Next Era Energy to validate them with additional information. We always focus on balancing safety and growth through metrics, such as the rate of increase of earnings for growth or the cash on hand for balance sheet surpluses for safety. We will keep those metrics in hand and we will add on to them and we'll use a theory of education to do this. This theory was called pragmatism. It was developed by John Dewey, William James, and Charles Peirce were the major proponents at the turn of the beginning of the 20th century. Dewey believed that experience is a great teacher and that new experiences create new or different questions. So our question here is how do we measure ESG and combine that information with financial measuring terms to make valid comparisons between alternative companies and investments. Our research regarding ESG metrics or the integration of financial metrics with ESG metrics will start with four sets of tools or four sets of specific things in the next podcast and we will develop them more fully and apply them to specific situations. And we'll see how useful they are in accurately assessing whether a company is really doing ESG and whether it really contributes to their financial success and strength. The four that we're going to focus on, number one, we'll start with the Stern School report. They specifically mention ROE, return on inequity, ROA, return on assets, and the use of the SHARP ratio. So we'll talk about those three things. Number two, BlackRock states that voting at shareholder meetings is important. We'll look at what they've done at shareholder meetings. We'll look at what their votes were based on and whether their votes accomplished anything. The United Nations Principles for Responsible Investing provides metrics in their Initiative Clement report titled Greenhouse Gas Accounting and Reporting. They have a series of formulas. I'll pick two of the most relevant, and we'll see how they apply them and whether that's useful to you or not. Finally, we will review key performance indicators, or KPIs, which a number of consulting firms recommend for evaluating ESG behavior. Now, your, your questions for the end of this podcast. If you are digging deeper into Microsoft or Next Era Energy, and you decided to develop your own ESG benchmarks, using what we've discussed in today's podcast, where would you start and what would you look at first? Don't worry about being 100% correct. Don't worry about being criticized or being incomplete. Just think about how you would start, how you'd go about it, and do not hesitate to look at the question from a very personal perspective. Second question, I cited contradictory perceptions from reputable sources. What I always ask when I read articles is not necessarily my first question, but I do ask it at some point in the article. What is the author's agenda? What is the organization's agenda? What is most important to this writer in what he's stating? And let's apply some Kentucky windage here and assume that in addition to providing me with truth and useful information, 
he or she may have some other agendas. I find that to be useful, and I find it makes me more critical of what I consume. That's it for this podcast. As usual, I will post the resources that I've cited today on the website finframeworks.com. And as promised, the next podcast will take us to our next level of detail in making ESG investing actionable and provide you with some concrete tools that you can use in your investing decisions. I hope that this has been helpful to you, and I look forward to seeing you next time. Mike Lehan, Financial Frameworks.